what do we do with this life? What do we do with our problems? What do we do with the areas that we struggle in? And that's what I am so excited to bring before you this morning. There once was a woman who woke up in the morning, looked in the mirror, and she saw she only had three hairs on her head. She looked and she thought for a moment and she said, I'm going to braid my hair today. And she did, and she had a really good day. The next day, she looked in the mirror and she saw that she only had two hairs left on her head. And she said, I'm going to part my hair down the middle and I'm going to have a really good day. The next day, she woke up and she was a little surprised, but she only had one hair left on her head. What is she to do? And she said, I'm going to do a ponytail today. And she did, and she had a really fun day. The next day, she woke up and she looked into the mirror and there was not a hair left on her head. What's a girl to do? She said, yes, I don't have to fix my hair today. And she went on and had a really great day. It's not so much about our circumstances as much how we view our circumstances, how we frame our circumstances, what we tell ourselves about our circumstances, and if we trust God or not in the middle of our circumstances. Several years ago, um, I was speaking um, at a church where I was a women's pastor for several years, and um, I was teaching a morning Bible study. I had a college-age son who was home for a little bit, and he said, Mom, I would love to come lead worship for your women today. So, well, you know, I'm a mom. I'm like, yes, of course, come do that. And so he did. And we had a new woman who came to study that day, and she loved to take pictures. This was back in the day when you, like, literally carried the camera around, not just your phone. At the end of the study, she said, hey, can I take a picture of you and your son? What a special moment. And I said, well, sure, because I'm a mama, and I love that idea. And I got next to my son, and I smiled, and so we snapped a picture. The next week, she came back. I didn't know if I'd ever see her again. I had never seen her before. Um, I want to add here, in our community in the Bay Area, she was a famous and reputable woman. Everybody was a little stunned when she walked into our Bible study the first time. But she came back the next week. And this time she had a big gift bag with all the tissue flowing out. She came up to me after I taught and she said, look, I don't know what you like. I don't know your decor. But just keep what works for you and just give the rest away. And I said, okay, and I didn't open in front of her. I gave her a hug. I thanked her graciously, and I took the bag home. I got home, and I put it up on the kitchen counter, and I started unwrapping the tissue. And inside the bag, there were three gifts. And what they were, as I unwrapped them, were they were three framed pictures of me and my son Cameron. Well, they were the exact same picture, all three pictures, but they were in three different frames. One was a glass block contemporary kind of frame. And the other one was a pewter frame that had inscribed on it family. And the other one was a frame that had all these jewels around it, which actually matched my house perfectly. So you know which one that I kept to put up in my house. But I had to go run an errand, and so I left the bag with three, the free, three framed pictures up on the counter. Our college-age daughter came home, was having lunch, and I got back, and she said, hey, what is up with the three pictures of you and Cameron? That's kind of weird. And I'm like, oh, and I explained it all to her, and we kind of laughed at the whole idea, and wasn't that nice of the lady? And then she said to me, you know, I know this sounds crazy, but that photo is the same photo, but it looks different depending on what frame it's in. 
And I stood back and I said, you know, you are 100% right. Same photo, different frame, different feel. And the same is true with us in our circumstances and in our problems. So what do we do with a problem? How do we frame a problem? Do we line our thoughts up to the truth of God's word? And do we learn to live there with each new circumstance and challenge? Or do we just think how we've always thought? Do we just spin and entangle webs of doubt, confusion, or really negative self-talk? What do we do in the meantime? The meantime is that place between a problem and its solution, between our prayer to heaven and our answer here on earth. And sometimes the meantime is a few hours. Sometimes it's days. It can be weeks, months, or years. But one thing's for sure, when you're in the meantime and it's you and your problem, sometimes it can feel really mean. So how do we live in the space of being hard of our emotions being stretched, of discouragement when prayers don't seem to ever be answered. A few years ago, um, I was under contract to write a book called Living in the Meantime. And I really loved that idea because I was living it in real time, just like all of us are. I finished the manuscript. The manuscript was accepted. But then the call came when they said, we're going to change the title of your book. Oh, what are we going to change it to? Well, we're going to change it to a woman who trusts God. I'm like, oh, well, I mean, I want to be a woman who trusts God, but I don't want to, like, give off false pretenses. Like, I'm not always a woman who trusts God. Like, we can't title it that. I can't have a book with my name on the cover that says a woman who trusts God. It sounds like I have everything buttoned up and my life put together, and I clearly do not. And I go, they said, well, we've made the decision. And I'm like, okay, quick thinking, I'm going, can I have part of the manuscript back because I have to put a disclaimer? So they gave it to me, and this is the disclaimer. Can I start this book with a disclaimer? Some days I'm not a woman who trusts God with all my cares, problems, and details. There I said it. Truth is, there are times I sit and stew in a self-pity party of insecurity, worry, and fear. And yes, there are times I try to overanalyze and figure out everything on my own, seeking for a piece of control. But I have found that when I don't trust God with my life and my circumstances, I have very little peace. I have experienced both, trust and fear, and I like trust in the life it gives me much more than I like the anxiety that comes from relying on my own limited resources. I felt like at least it was fair. If they're going to read a book about trusting God and suffering, and I would like to just throw out a little thing here. So I dedicated this book to my friend Bettina Belter, and she's actually here from Bakersfield this weekend. <laughs> that is one of the very uh, sweet things um, about writing, is that sometimes you can dedicate things to people that you love. So I came across this book, and I love this little book. So if you'll just indulge me for a moment, because I think that it will really add to the message, and it will make sense. It's called, What Do You Do With a Problem? If you're a mama, this is not from a Christian publisher, but you might want to get this book. They sell it at Target, What Do You Do With a Problem? It is a really good book. Um, I've read it. It's all messed up from reading to my grandchildren. So I'm just going to read a few excerpts of it. I don't know how it happened, but one day I had a problem. I didn't want it. I didn't ask for it. I really didn't like having a problem, but it was there. 
why is it here? What does it want? What do I do with a problem? I thought, can you tell I'm a grandmother and I read to my grandkids? I wanted to make it go away. I shoot it. I scowled at it. I tried ignoring it, but nothing worked. I started to worry about my problem. What if my problem swallows me up? What if it takes away all of my things? I worried a lot. I worried about what would happen. I worried about what could happen. I worried about this, and I worried about that. And the more I worried, the bigger my problem became. And the more I avoided my problem, the more I saw it everywhere I went. I thought about it all the time, and it did not feel good at all. I realized one day that I had to face my problem. When I got face-to-face -face with it, I discovered something. My problem wasn't what I thought it was. I discovered that my problem had something beautiful inside. My problem held an opportunity. It was an opportunity for me to learn, an opportunity for me to grow, to be brave, and to do something. So now, I see problems differently. I'm not afraid of them anymore because I know their secret. Last night, we started with the verse from Psalm 84, blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their heart on pilgrimage, which means we've set our heart on the spiritual journey of life. And as they pass through hard stuff or the valley of Baca or the dry, dusty, desert, awful places of life, they make it a place of springs. <laughs> Interesting. As we pass through the valley... As we pass through the hard, dry, gritty, awful stuff in life. It doesn't say God waves his magic wand over us and he makes it a place of springs that bubble up right before it. No, it says, blessed is the woman or people that they trust God in the middle of the valley because their heart is set on him and they make it a place from, of springs. And we're going to talk about that today, how you can do that. And it says they go from strength to strength until each appears before God. My mission in life is to help women live a better story. I shared... Um, with you last night some of the undersides of my story that like were the ugly undersides but what I want you to know is that through Christ I have found a better story through Christ I am not a victim through Christ I have found growth through Christ I have been transformed and continually be transformed into somebody that sometimes I hardly recognize a little girl who had ulcers by fourth grade. A, a girl who was afraid to take a shower until the night she accepted Jesus Christ. This is a true story. I had so many unreasonable fears that kind of didn't know what to do with me as I was growing up. And I wouldn't take a shower because I was afraid somebody was going to get me. And ladies, I had not even seen Psycho. If I had seen that, I would still be locked up. <laughs> but the night that I accepted Jesus... I was living with my parents going to college, and I walked in the bathroom in the hallway that was by their master bedroom, 11 o'clock at night, I turned on the shower, I took a shower, I was singing songs I heard at that chapel, at Calvary Chapel at Costa Mesa, and I was singing, 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 and then when I got out of the shower, I was oblivious, I mean, it was kind of rude, I mean, my parents had to work in the next morning, but I didn't care, I accepted Jesus, I was free. 
And I open the bathroom door. Both my parents are there in their little robes, and the steam is escaping into the hallway, and they're like, what? You took a shower. And I'm like, I know. I took a shower. I accepted Jesus, and I don't have to be afraid anymore because I, my life is in his hands. And it was the 70s, sex, drugs, rock and roll, transcendental meditation, cults, the whole bit. And my parents thought she has gone over the deep end. And they watched and waited. And within seven months, they went over the deep end with me too. And our lives forever changed. From an alcoholic father who never took a drink again, from a mother who was like, I don't know what she was, but she became a sweet, older lady, and she became one of my best friends. The power of Jesus, the power of redemption. What do we do with our problems? I would like to tell you that I was never afraid again, but that would not be a true telling of my personal story. But I will tell you something, and we will verify it much in Scripture today. When my focus was on Jesus and his love for me, I was not afraid. And because I was a new Christian, I was absorbing everything. So guess what my focus was? Jesus and his love for me. Jesus and his plan for me. Jesus and his promise over me, it was my focus. And when that was my focus, I was different. But pretty soon I got busy. I got involved in a church, and I got busy being pretty perfect and polished for Jesus. And so now my focus was no longer Jesus and his love for me. My focus was me, me and being good and being right for God and all of that stuff that sounds so good. Me and checking off my quiet time off of a list. Me in everything that was supposed to make me right and good and beautiful, but it wasn't on Jesus anymore. And when it wasn't on Jesus, I became afraid. I was prone to depression. I was prone to being triggered by everything that up to that point affected me and made me who I was. When we set our heart on God's story in and through us, our lives change. Our perspectives change. So what do we do with a problem? Let's talk about the anatomy of a problem. A problem is something happens, your circumstance. Something happens, and then how you see it or how you view it is the next thing. Get hit with a problem, you have an opinion about it. You view it a certain way, so do I. And then I begin to tell myself something about that problem based on how I see the problem. Um, I know I'm not the only one that talks to myself. I mean, there are books about self-talk. I know I'm not alone in this. Problem, how I see it, what I tell myself. And then the reaction or response is how I handle it. So we don't just go from a problem to how I handle it, although it looks like that sometimes. It looks like we go from A to Z, a problem, and then I'm like going all the way to flipping out, right? I know that's not just me either. <laughs> but what's really happening, there's a problem, we look at it a certain way, we tell ourselves something about the problem, and then we respond or react based on that. And I'm hoping that you will leave this weekend encouraged to see your story differently and encouraged to see your problems differently because transforming how you see your story in God's care and love over you will change the way that you live your faith and it will change the way you walk out your life. And for those of you that are mamas, aunts, grandmothers, whatever you're doing that are people are watching you, little people, I have 20 people watching me, adult children and 10 littles. And I don't, I don't care about them watching to see that I'm perfect because I'm very clear with them that I am not. 
I am quick to apologize to them when I make a mistake because that is part of this journey. But this is what I do know. When I have a problem, all eyes are on me. How's she going to handle this? How is her faith going to hold up in this? Will her faith hold up in this? And so it's so important how we look at our problems. So, so that no matter what life brings us, we can go from strength to strength. We can learn to live from a full cup, not a cup emptied by circumstances. So it all has to do pretty much with how we frame our circumstances. Just like I told you about the, the picture of me and my son. And can I just add, you know, we're all women here. I actually liked the picture. You know how you don't like it? There's all these pictures you don't like. That was back in the day before filters and the whole works, okay? Like, I liked the picture. I still have it up at my house, and mostly because it's like a faith moment for me now to remind me to reframe every problem with the truth of God's word and to make it a goal to line my mind up with the truth of God's word and to make it a goal to handle my problems with how the truth and God's word and how saints that went before me modeled it. So, you know... We all, I, I started talking about what you do with a problem. I, I've been working through it in my own life for a very long time, but I actually started talking about it right when things kind of opened up after the pandemic. Because let's face it, we all had a problem right in front of us. We still have problems right in front of us. There is so much still division and chaos and crisis in the world around us, and are we going to live according to that? Or are we going to reframe it and live our story out still as women who trust God? You see, when we, right before the pandemic, we had lived a lifetime in California. Um, for me, over 31 years in the Bay Area, when I remarried, um, I married a man that lived in the Bay Area. So I moved from Southern California to the Bay Area and lived there for many years. And we had community and we had friends and we had a life, but we moved for my husband's retirement because our kids started scattering all over the country. So we moved and we had great plans. When we moved, we bought a house that was way bigger than an old couple should buy. But we could because we came from the Bay Area. I mean, let's be real. But we had vision and we had a plan. We, built, we, bought, we bought this house that had something that fulfilled something we always wanted to do. My husband and I have both been in ministry for years, and we always wanted to do marriage intensives. And I always wanted to do inner healing intensives with women. And now as a literary agent, I want to do writer's intensives at my house. The house is big enough. There's enough bedrooms, I won't tell you how many, and there's enough bathrooms, I won't tell you how many, and we were excited. So we moved in, and we started getting things ready for all this. One of our friends is a Christian therapist. She was going to do these marriage intensives with us, just take maybe four couples at a time. Exciting, exciting, exciting. We moved in, unpacked, bought a bunch of beds for these bedrooms, and the pandemic happened, and the world shut down. Not only did the world shut down and nothing that we dreamed of would happen in this big house happen, but for me, with a full speaking calendar for 2020, it was all gone within seven days. Like every organizer canceled. It was just like somebody took like an eraser. And you guys have experienced this in your own life too. The pandemic affect every one of us. But this is what I want to tell you it did. I had disappointment. My problem at that time in life was disappointment. We live in a city where we know nobody we live in a city where they consider us seniors and we can only go grocery shopping at 6 a.m. <laughs> we live in a city where we can't fulfill the plans that we thought we were going to fulfill when we bought this big house. And what are we doing in this big house now? Because, you know, when you're in the middle of a problem, it looks like it's never going to end. It looks like disaster. You tell yourself all kinds of stuff about your problem. And then I looked at my calendar, and it's like I had to be honest and real. Who am I without a calendar that's fully booked when I've been doing this for over 20 years? And the Lord's like, exactly. 
This problem, my dear girl, holds opportunity for you to grow because you, your identity is not a speaker. Your identity is not a host home. Your identity is not even the community that you end up in. Your identity is very singular. You are mine. I have a plan. I haven't left you. Lean in and trust. I would have to say for us, the pandemic was one of the most beautiful times, although it was frustrating like it was for anybody, but because we began viewing it differently. So what can we do during this time? What can be shaved off of us during this time? Um, clearly, it wasn't weight that was shaved off, but I'm talking about inner things. <laughs> the truth of the matter is God wants our hearts. It says in 1 Samuel, man looks at the outside of us, but God looks at the heart. And he always wants our heart, but sometimes we're too busy to give him our hearts. We keep ourselves busy. We keep ourselves moving. We keep ourselves booked up, and we don't even have time anymore to give him our hearts. I was so discouraged about how my whole life was not going to turn out how I planned now that I moved to Arizona, knew nobody, and couldn't open my home, that I was so discouraged that I was forgetting God in the middle of it, and I was not giving him my heart. Oh, boy. You know, it says this in Psalm 40. David said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on the rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. He says, many will see it and put their trust in the Lord. All of us here know a whole lot about less than perfect lives. And not one of us here is a perfect specimen of a Christian woman, or even a woman, or even a person. Like the video said, truth be told, we were born into this world. We were born into sin, and we need a savior. If I were to come up to you first meeting you, let's say I was in the dining hall with you, and I come running up to you like, oh, hi, what's your name? Looking at your name tag, I'm Debbie, and oh, gosh, I'm a little insecure, and I'm really depressed, and I have anxiety. What's your name? You'd be like, back off, lady. <laughs> and I wouldn't suggest for the sake of transparency that you expose all that either. That's not the point, but this is the point. There is a real woman sitting in your seat that needs a touch from a real God in the areas that matter most. A real woman who needs a real God, who has real problems, who needs to be encouraged that problems are a part of life. As long as we think they're not, we're always going to be surprised by them. We are always going to be defeated by them, and we are never going to want to line up to God's word when it comes to what to do with them. You see, it says in 1 John 4, 16, something that is very simple, but it can be very profound. It says, and we know and rely on the love that God has for us. The verse after that says, perfect love drives out fear. So let me just add something in here that's not in my notes. If you struggle with fear, fear comes in many forms. And believe me, I, I mean, I should be writing books on fear. That's what I should be writing books on. But because I'm like, was the queen of fear. I mean, seriously. But if you struggle with fear, which could be all the way from insecurity to, to anxiety to control, 
Fear comes in many faces, in many forms. And at one point or time, we all struggle with it. There's no shame in the struggle, but this is the truth. The antidote to fear is God's love. Perfect love drives out fear. That's what it says. But before that, it says we know and we rely upon the love that God has for us. So let me give you a challenge before we talk our pro- about our problems. It says, and we know. That is a Greek word, gnosko, which means we know in our mind. We've recognized it. We can remember it. Maybe we can even repeat it because we know it. Any of you know about like head stuff that's not heart stuff? So it says we know and is the most important thing. We don't stop there. And rely. Rely is a Greek word, pastua, which means we lean into what we know with the entire personality. With every part of us, we're going to take what we know up here and we are going to lean in with all of us to what we know to be true, even when it's contrary to what we're feeling in the moment. And let me show you how somebody did it. Oh, I love to open this part of scripture. I have read it over and over, as crazy as it sounds. I'm not so much like, you know, I'm no Old Testament scholar. I'm not like really into all the old kings or anything. I'm just not. If you are, God bless you. That's awesome. But I love this story <laughs> so much. Second Chronicles 20, if you want to read it later, the whole entire Second Chronicles 20 has something for us. It's a story about King Jehoshaphat and how he defeated an army. But let's, let's talk about where it started. It said that some men came and told Jehoshaphat that a vast army is coming against you from the other side of the sea. And this is what it says, alarmed. Joseph, Jehoshaphat was alarmed. Does that give anybody else just a sense of peace and exhale? King Jehoshaphat. He was told some people were coming against him. A problem was on its way, and his first response was fear. He was alarmed. Back to fear. There's no shame in fear. It might be your first response, your initial reaction, but it does not have to be the way you live. It does not, fear does not have to have the final say. So let's see what he did. He was alarmed, but then it says, Jehoshaphat resolved. So right when he knew he was scared, he resolved to do something differently. He resolved to inquire of the Lord. He was afraid. He was alarmed. He turned to God. Now, that might sound like a no-brainer, like, oh, my gosh, where'd you get this speaker? Doesn't she know? That's what you do. You have a problem. You turn to Jesus. I mean, like, that's a no-brainer. All right. How many problems have you had when you have not turned to Jesus? It's easier to go to the phone than to the throne. I mean, come on. Let's be real. But what if when we had a problem, we resolved to inquire of the Lord like King Jehoshaphat? Then it says, then Jehoshaphat stood up in the community, in the assembly, and in front of them he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and power and might are in your hand. And he says, if calamity comes upon us, we will stand in your presence. We will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us, and you will save us. And then he goes on in verse 12, he says, For we have no power to face this army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. 
How many of you, and of course we don't want to raise a hands, have had problems or even situations, daily situations, what to do with kids, what path to be on, whatever. You have situations and you really don't know what to do. And it makes you like stirred up and anxious just thinking about the problem and what do I do and I don't know what to do. This was Jehoshaphat. But what he did is he humbled himself before God. He said, power and might are, you, are in your hands and I don't know what to do with this problem. I don't know what to do with this army that's coming against me. So I don't know what to do, so I'm going to do one thing. My eyes are going to be upon you. And then the spirit of the Lord came upon the son of Zechariah, and this is what he said to King Jehoshaphat. Now, this is a part of the story that you may have heard before. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this fast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Can I say to you today that I believe that that's a message for some of you in this room. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the problems that you're in because of the cup of circumstance that you find yourself in today. Do not be discouraged, for the battle is not yours but God's. And then he tells them, tomorrow, march down against them. You will not have to fight this battle, but you'll have to do something. It doesn't say that. That's me saying you'll have to do something. Take up your positions and stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord. Take up your position and stand firm. What does this mean? What does this mean? This is why knowing who we are and whose we are, knowing who he is and how he loves is so very important because our position, we are women loved by God. Women loved by God. When I was in my depression after my divorce, the depression was understandable. My whole life fell apart right before my very eyes when I was trying to be a good little wife and a pastor's wife and led a big ministry for women. My life blew up. Oh, you better believe I said, why, God, why? Really, God, really. But the bottom line was this, I needed to start over. And like I told you last night, after 17 years, I said, Jesus, I need that refresh button. I need to return to you once again. I need to return to my first love. And in very simple fashion, I'm just going to tell you this much of it because it's about position. I began reading Psalm 139 every day, morning, noon, and night. Some of you may have heard this story because I was depressed and I couldn't take medication. I just can't. My body hardly does any medication. It's a, it's a challenge. I desperately wanted it. I couldn't have it. <clears throat> Somebody gave me a scripture, he'll send his word and heal you. Ha <laughs> that's hilarious. I know his word. I've been teaching his word for years. I am not healed. I'm a mess. He sent his word and he'll send his word and heal you. So I didn't know what to do. Then my friend said, read Psalm 139 every day. I'm like, oh, brother, <laughs> a baby in a mother's womb, what is that going to do? But I didn't know what else to do, so I read it. I read it. Morning, noon, and night. Nothing happened for a couple weeks, about six weeks into it. Something happened. It was like technicolor highlighting in my mind over my Bible. All of a sudden, I thought, in this psalm, there's four truths. That these truths could change my life if I would really believe them and stand on them. And I'm going to tell them to you today because this is the position that you need to take. That he knows you. That he protects you. Even when you don't feel protected, he says he goes behind you and before you and lays his hand upon you is what it says in Psalm 139. And that he made you. Your life has, has value and your story has purpose. And even if you were unwanted at birth, you've always been wanted by God. And he values that, what, that those that he made. He knows you. He protects you. He made you. And he values you. 
This, these are four truths of God's love that if we believe them, if we taught them to our children, if we taught them to our grandchildren, if we walked them out, we would no longer be staying in fear, though being alarmed might be a first response. We would move quickly to the foundational truths of, I am loved by God, and therefore, I do not have to fight this battle. But what I do need to do is I do, do need to admit my need for him. I do need to look up to him, and I need to take my position and stand firm in him. In Psalm 84, she walks through the valley of the desert of Baca, and she makes it a place of streams, and she goes from strength to strength. How can we do that? By taking our positions and standing firm. That enemy will taunt you, and he will say, God does not care about this. He doesn't care about your problem. There's a lot of people in this world. A lot of people have problems, and you stand, and you go, God, God, I don't know what to do. I cannot fight this alone, but this I do know that you know me, you know every part of my life, that you protect me even when I feel unprotected, that you made me for your purposes and you know the beginning and the end and that you value me because you made me, not because what I do or have done. And that's your position, one loved by God. And so then it goes on. So Jehoshaphat now has this marching orders. You're going to have to take your position, stand firm, see the deliverance of the Lord, have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. So after consulting with the people, Jehoshaphat decided to send an army of worshipers. This is an important part of us fighting our battles. An army of worshipers out before battle. Now this might not be significant to you, but I hope it will be after today. Listen to what they did. So Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went ahead of the army, and these are the words they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. What? You guys, the love of Jesus, the love of God from the beginning of time till the end of time, it is our battle cry. It is our battle cry. It is the position in which we stand. So the army went out and they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And the story goes that as they worshiped God and sang this truth, that they, the enemy was defeated. An ambush was put up against the enemy and the other army was defeated on every side. And Jehoshaphat and his people gained victory. Yeah, amen, right? I mean, that is like super, super powerful. So how do we wrap this up for us? When something happens, you see something, it's a problem. When you see something, immediately go to the place of reframing it. Reframe it with the truth of God's word. Psalm 138.8 says that the Lord will complete or perfect everything that concerns you. So when you get faced with a problem, find scriptures that are meaningful to you, that are your go-tos, that you go to to frame your problem. So you still have the problem, but you are believing God's word about that problem. And now instead of whining about that problem, you're going to tell yourself the truth about that problem. Now I'm telling you something. I've been practicing this in real time. 
in real time. And I'm telling you something, those who keep his, their minds set on him will have perfect peace. And when our minds are not set on him, we will just basically be a disaster whether we know Jesus or not. So this is what it looks like. A circumstance happens and I feel like freaking out. When I found out, being out of breath, coming home from Maui, that I had a heart disease that I didn't know that I had, I literally wanted to scream. I was so scared. I wanted to start bawling real tears in the doctor's office. I was really scared. But I've been teaching this for a couple years now. I'm trying to practice it. So instead, as the doctor left the room to come back in with more information for me, more plans, more drugs, the doctor left the room, and as she left the room, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. My heart is in your hands. This diagnosis is in your hands. I don't know what to do, but, Father, this is what I am going to do. I am going to believe that you protect me. Incidentally, what is wrong with me probably happened as a result of breast cancer radiation, which brings a whole other layer to do I trust God or not trust God, because pretty sure I asked him when I had those 30 treatments to protect me. And now I might have damage from those treatments, which is rare, but it does happen. However, who is my God? Who is my God? Is there an opportunity in every problem? Oh, yes, there is. Can I freak out? Yes, I'm perfect at it. <laughs> Can I have faith? I'm learning. How do I have faith? I begin framing it with truth. I begin looking to God. I tell myself the truth when I want to worry, and I stand firm in the truth of his love for me. And as we close, we just have like a minute here, but I want to read this out of Matthew to you, and we're going to expound on it a little bit tonight. Because you see, Jehoshaphat's story is something for us to remember, but also what Jesus taught the people is really important for us to remember because he's talking to them about worry, and most of you probably have heard this. This is the red letters, the words of Jesus, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. It's, and he, they're asking, you know, you know, Jesus about things, and he says, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. And to that I say, Jesus, it's super important about what we wear, right, ladies? I mean, he mentions what we wear a couple times, not to worry about it. Note to self, I need to take that part of scripture seriously. Anyway, but then he says, why do you worry? For the pagans run after these things. Those are the unbelievers Run after all these things. Everything that concerns them is what they live for. And he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough problems of its own. It's right here in Scripture, I'm telling you. But right before that, it says, you have a heavenly Father. When it says the pagans run after all these things, Jesus says, and he's saying to us today, I don't know your problem. I don't know your circumstance. I don't know what cup of life you're in, but this I do know that you are loved. And he is saying to you, do not worry. I am your heavenly father, and I know what you need. You think you know what you need, but girlfriend, I know what you need. I don't know. Does he call you girlfriend? He calls me girlfriend. I know what you need. Sometimes he calls me honey, too, you know. I mean, it just depends on the day. But he tells me, I am your father, and I know what you need. He goes before us. He is behind us. He places his hand upon us. And that, my friends, is how we handle 
our problems. Father, I pray that your word would not go void. I pray, Jesus, that you would make it so real to us that your love, your abiding love, is just the most important thing for us to understand and for us to live in. I pray, Father, in the areas where we don't believe it, that you would somehow penetrate us this weekend in a way that supernaturally, by the miracle working power of your Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in us and we would want to return to you or we would want to know you for the first time. And I lift this up to you in your name. Amen.